Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. It's great to be um, here again and on, you know, being able to speak this morning. And I, I've just, um, what a great church we're part of. And it was superb to just send Simon and Sam off. Um, and, f- and what Sam said about um, the way the people that have invested in her over the years as she's been part of this church is exactly what I want to be sort of talking a little bit about today. Um, it's, it's about creating communities that are supportive of one another, where we're really bringing each other on. But I'm not going to get into that just yet. Um, but what a, what a great morning and what a great um, community we have here. And we're not there yet, we're not the finished article, and we've got loads to do as a community um, of people to grow one another and to move forward. Um, and so this morning, um, yeah, I'm, I'm tasked with uh, speaking about the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. Now, I will get those two names muddled up, so do feel free to correct me um, at any given time. Um, But yeah, Elijah and Elisha and the relationship. And I've called this morning's um, talk the making of a leader. So let's just read together um, the the portion in 1 Kings uh, where we we meet Elisha. Let me turn that around. Okay, so 1 Kings 19, 9 to 21. So talking about Elijah, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but guess what? The Lord wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the screen then either for a minute. That's a bit scary. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. And they want to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Then Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? 
So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. When we first moved down here, which was about 15 years ago, my first um, job was as a community development worker in a school in Millbrook. And it was a school that Paul was working in at the time. And Paul used to come home. I was living in Watford um, for quite a long time while he was down here. And it was all a bit um, sort of complicated for a while. But we eventually moved down here. He'd come home, though, and he'd tell me stories of the families and the kids at at the school. And and I'd have a real desire to get involved and to be able to, to help. And, and, and make a difference. But I thought, well, I'm not a social worker. I won't be able to. There's not a job for me there. Anyway, this job came up as a community development worker in the, in the, uh, in the community, in the school there. And, um, and I loved it. And uh, one of the things that we uh, did as, as we were going around sort of finding out what were the needs of the community and, um, and how we could make a difference there um, as a school was one of the things that we recognised was a problem was, or, or a challenge, shall we say, was parenting and family life. Um, and a lot of the kids in our school had huge issues, not of their own making, but because of some of the stuff that had gone on in their lives. And it was a real challenge. It was a challenge for teachers, um, and it was, a, it was a challenge for the families that, that we were working alongside. So I sort of set about getting trained as a parenting worker. So I used to run parenting courses and, and um, work with the families and parents there. And through the course of that work, I met two fantastic women called Angie and Sharon. Angie and Sharon lived in Millbrook. They were born and bred Millbrook. And um, they came along because they had sons in the school and they were having real difficulty with their boys in the school at the time. Um, And they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to do something different. They wanted it to be different. So we were working alongside them, sort of um, supporting them, doing some parenting stuff and and just, you you know, seeing what we could do to help. And And as I was working alongside them, it just occurred to me that um, me as an outsider going into that community, it wasn't wasn't ideal. And actually what I needed to do was I needed to um, actually get them to be doing my job. Um, And they needed to be the ones trained up and running this parenting stuff because they were from the community and they had a desire for change and for things to be different. So after a, a little while, they, when I first suggested this to them, they were like, no, 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 we couldn't do that. We've never done anything like this. There's no way we could, we could run, which is a load of rubbish. They, you know, of course they could. But they hadn't been, um, they hadn't been challenged in that way before, and uh, they hadn't been given the support. So we set about getting them trained. They, um, they, became, they used to run the courses with me. They used to co-facilitate. And then they used to also uh, set up their own support groups, and they'd have parents coming along. And it was so much better because they were people um, that, that understood the people that they were working with. They were from the community there. And, uh, and Angie particularly, she was considered a bit of a matriarch in the community. You wouldn't want to cross her. She was, she was quite a feisty woman. But she was absolutely brilliant. And it gave me such joy to see those two women grow and develop into this leadership role in their community, actually, um, and start to really feel empowered to to make change and to do something different. Um, As we look at the story of Elijah and Elisha, we're looking at a story of mentorship, and we're looking at a story of, um, of, of coaching and of bringing somebody on. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to think a little bit about that as we think about the making of a leader. 
At the beginning of any coaching session that I do with people, I ask them what they need from this next hour and a half that we've got together. What's going to make this time successful for them? Now, I don't ask them that question because, um, you know, it's all about us and, and, you know, just to make us feel better. I ask that question because, actually, the time that we have together is really important, and it's important to them, and it's really important to them if they're paying me as well. So they need to get the most out of that time that we're spending together. And so it's really important that they think about what they need. And I'd really love it if when we come to church on a Sunday, we actually came thinking, what do I need? today? What do I need to get out of this? Not because it's all about me and me getting fatter as a Christian and consuming more. It's about service, because when I'm coaching, it's about how do we move people forward? How, do you, how are you going to overcome this barrier and move forward? When we come to church on a Sunday morning, we're not just coming to consume, are we? We know that we have got a calling on our lives, each and every single one of us. So how brilliant if we came thinking, what do I need this morning in order to move forward, in order to leave this place different than I came in? So I want you to think, what do I need today um, as, as, we, as I'm standing here waffling on at you for the next 25 minutes, and I will try and keep it to 25 minutes, maybe a bit less. What do I need? So if we just backtrack a little bit, the story, if you haven't been here over the last four weeks, the story is set a long time ago in the 9th century BC. Elijah's background is sketchy, as is Elisha's. There's not much information available about them and where they came from. Elijah was a prophet, and a prophet is basically someone who um, is anointed by God to speak God's words into situations. So they hear directly from God, and they speak into those situations. Elijah was a prophet, um, and God spoke directly to him. He was on a bit of a mission, as we've heard in previous weeks, to stamp out the, um, the, the worship of Baal, which was a false god, um, that Queen Jezebel was really trying to get the Israelites kind of really uh, diverted along that path of worshipping false gods. And Elijah was on a bit of a mission to, um, from God to, to sort of get people back to worshipping God. But at this point in the story, we actually meet an Elijah who is scared for his life and who is becoming really disillusioned. He's alone, he's hopeless, he's lonely, he's feeling um, a bit depressed and a bit of a failure, and he's talking about the overzealous acts um, that he's, uh, you know, to God uh, that he's done. He's unsure why uh, the Israelites are still rejecting God, and he's coming face to face with his own shortcomings as well, as well as facing the opposition against him. So we meet him here at Horeb, which is a place that Moses also went to when he was um, needing to hear from God. We meet him here at Horeb. And God says to him, why are you here? Elijah is basically sort of running away from, from the situation because he's scared for his life. He's perhaps become a little bit too big on his own map. We've got friends of ours. She describes her husband as too big. He's big on his own map. It's kind of a little bit... <laughs> they love each other. They're great. But it just makes me laugh. So, yeah. So he's kind of become a little bit too big on his own map, perhaps. And he's a bit lost. He doesn't really know now what it is God's, um, God's, what he can do with his life and what God's calling him to. So God's questioning him here at Horeb. And perhaps to get him to really evaluate what's going on, where he was, what he's doing, and why he's doing it. And it's in the whisper, it's in the whisper, isn't it, that God directs him. 
And I think that's probably intentional on God's part, because Elijah was a man of whiz-bang, miraculous, all, you know, sort of fire and uh, crazy things going on. And actually, God is beginning to show him that this is a different, he's moving into a different season, and that actually he can be hearing from God in a different way. And so God speaks to him in the whisper, and he tells him to, um, to go back the way he came. So enter Elisha. Verse 16 says, Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. God is giving Elijah a very clear succession plan. God provides Elijah with a companion, someone to mentor and to coach, and someone to take his ministry on, which I imagine was a great relief for Elijah, feeling lonely and low and depressed and not really sure of his purpose. So imagine the scene. Elisha's just going about his everyday work. He was from a wealthy family because we can sort of glean that because of the amount of oxen and the fact that he was farming and and uh, and he but he was a worker he was he was in there uh, he was going about his business and all of a sudden this wild looking man walks into the field and throws his cloak over him weird <laughs> so the cloak which we often refer to is referred to as the mantle and just launches it at him Elijah's mantle. We call it a cape these days, so if you're confused what the word mantle is. But I'm going to talk about mantle um, throughout. So the cloak or the mantle was the official garment of the prophets. It's how prophets were recognized um, in those Old Testament days. It, re it represented something. It represented the fact that they were gifted by God um, with prophecy. And um, throwing it over Elisha was, in effect, symbolic of passing the gift on. So for both Elijah and Elisha, nothing will be the same again. God had provided Elisha with Elijah and Elijah with Elisha. They needed each other, but for different reasons. So what does this Elisha-Elijah relationship, the mentoring, reveal to us about our responsibilities to each other and to God and how we grow leaders? And I want to explore this through the lens of the mantle. Do we have the next slide? So the first thing is about this mantle of responsibility. Elisha didn't question the call of God on his life. When Elijah threw the mantle over him, he didn't, um, he, he, didn't, he didn't question it. He knew what his response should be. He got up and he followed. Elijah made it clear it's God's call on Elisha's life when he says, what have I done? What have I done? It's not me, it's God. It's God that has, uh, has instructed me to do this. So the, so the act of throwing the mantle over Elisha um, is about an acknowledgement of Elisha's gifting, even if that gifting is underdeveloped and yet to be used. He's seen something in Elisha, and God has pointed that out to him, and he has gone and he has obeyed, and he is prepared to invest in Elisha's life. So Elisha has a responsibility now, doesn't he? The mantle has been thrown. The gauntlet has been laid. So Elisha has a responsibility. He has a responsibility to step into the gifts that God has given to him. He has a responsibility to be teachable. He has a responsibility to be a good steward of those gifts and allow them to grow under Elijah's mentorship. He has a responsibility to be a friend, an encourager, and a companion to Elijah. 
And I imagine, given the nature of Elijah and God, that he has a responsibility as well to take risks and be prepared to take risks. For us, the mantle that we carry are the gifts that we've been given. I'll say that again. The mantle that we carry as people who follow Christ, as people who are filled with his spirit, are the gifts that we have been given. That is our responsibility. Often we think that we've got to wait for some sort of divine revelation to understand what it is we need to do with our lives or to understand what the next step is. But as I look out on this crowd of beautiful people, what I see are gifted, amazing people who have got natural gifts and abilities. But perhaps for some of you, you just need to really um, feel confident in that and to step into those giftings and abilities. God has created us with our natural gifts and abilities. Our responsibility is to use them. What do we use them for? As Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So we've not been gifted for our own sakes. We've been gifted in order to serve others and to serve the church. Elisha appears to have just accepted this mantle and taken up the challenge, which I think is really exciting, isn't it? There's not a question. He's not going, oh, no, I can't. Oh, no, I can't, which is what I do a lot of the time, and I don't know about you. But he just accepts the mantle, and off he goes. He follows Elijah. So our challenge is, do we know our gifts, and do we use our gifts? So let's keep it simple. It's as much about who you are as about what you do, okay? It's as much about who you are as what you can do. The most exciting part of my coaching work is helping people to understand who they are. And people think that sounds fluffy sometimes, and they think that it doesn't really make a lot of sense, because actually it's the hardest question to answer, is who am I? People tend to step into, well, I'm the pastor of a church, or I'm a dad, or we go into the roles that we play rather than the essence of who we are. But when people start to really understand and connect with who they are, That's really exciting because that brings a freedom and a confidence to move forward and to grow in a way that people don't have very often until they really recognize what's important to them. So a good way to begin this process is in understanding our values, what's important to us as human beings. And um, I'm going to send out, with the Connect group notes, I'll send out some some more questions for this as well. But I've got a question for you this morning. I think it's on the slide. Yeah. Think about one behavior that you observe in others that you don't like. Don't think about the person and don't say it out loud, okay? All right? We're here to build each other up. Just think in your head, one behavior that you observe in others that you don't like. What is it? And then after that, think about the opposite behavior, So for me, I really don't like arrogance in a person. I find that really difficult. What's the opposite of arrogance? For me, it's about humility. Putting others first. It's not, you're not big on your own map in the same way. So what might be a a behavior that results from humility? Perhaps doing acts of kindness, thinking of others. Okay, so I give you a minute. Think about a behavior that you observe in others that you don't like. And then what is the opposite of that behavior? 
Does that make sense? That, um, the opposite word that you've thought of in your head is perhaps the most reliable signal of what you value most. So, yeah, for me, it is important that people are kind to one another, actually. And that's why arrogance really annoys me. Or, you know, that's sort of when people are like that towards other people. So it's a really um, interesting exercise to do, to just to start to think about some of those things. Now, if kindness is important to me, then I'm not, do I, do I need to wait for God to um, enlighten me that actually I need to go and be kind to people? No, that's something he's given me that is important to me, and I need to use that behavior, I need to t translate that into behaviors that then help other people, that then are there to, to serve others. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's actually, what's important to you is probably the mantle that God has given you. The things, that, the gifts that you naturally have, if that's important to you, then get out there and use it. And don't be afraid to use it. And don't think to yourself, oh my goodness, well, yeah, of course I don't, I, I, you know, kindness is important to me because I don't like conflict. Let's forget the negative and let's focus on the positive. So yeah, God has given you uh, a passion for kindness. So let's use that in our um, community. So it's a starting point for our thinking in identifying our natural gifts and what God has given us as people. And he's given us all things that we value highly. And then those things are the things that we, that's, we behave out of our values. So the things that are important to us are what drives our behaviours. And yes, there are going to be some things that we need to work on and we need to change. Of course, we're not perfect. But let's think about the positive stuff and start giving that back to God and take responsibility for it and use it to make a difference. So the second mantle that we carry is the mantle of mentorship. As, as followers of Christ, we have a really clear mandate, don't we? Love God, love your neighbor as yourselves, as ourselves. So we are expected to love ourselves as well. We're not expected to despise ourselves. God hasn't created us uh, to be all about someone else and to hate ourselves. And do you know what? That's the thing that really gets people stuck is when they don't like themselves. It's a lie, for one thing, a lie of the, of, of the devil, isn't it, really? It's a lie that keeps us down. It keeps us from living life in all its fullness. It keeps us from moving forward, and it keeps us from making a difference because we end up not liking ourselves. So we have a clear mandate to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So as part of that, it's going to be about understanding who we are and what we have been given to use. And we see in the story um, of Elijah and, Eli and Elisha that mentoring is a really valuable tool in the process of growing and developing our gifting. It just is. We need one another. Elijah, with God's help, saw something in Elisha and committed to him. He committed to him, to growing him, if you like. He took him under his wing, under his mantle, in order to prepare him for the task ahead. So how do we see mentoring? What does mentoring look like? Um, and what do we see in the story? Well, Elijah allowed Elisha to be part of his everyday. 
He went with him everywhere. In fact, as you read on, it must have been really annoying at times because he's just like, Elijah's going, you wait here. And Elijah's like, no, 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 I want to come with you. It's like when you're, you know, you've got small children, isn't it, and toddlers, and you just want to go for a wee. And they're like, mommy, I know I just need a bit of peace. But I imagine it could have been a bit irritating at times. But Elijah allowed Elisha to be part of his every day. He taught him. He challenged him. He encouraged him to grow in the gifts that God had given him. Elijah modelled what it was that Elisha was meant to be doing and and taking on. They went around teaching in the schools of the prophets, the 7,000 prophets that that hadn't fallen to Baal. They they went around and they they taught, and and, and Elisha was part of that with Elijah. So I imagine Elisha was... uh, Sorry, I've done it. That's the first time. First time. I imagine Elijah uh, was teaching Elisha as well as releasing him to do the work and to grow. Sometimes we need to be released, don't we? It's no good just being uh, following somebody. We've got to, and I hate the phrase, step out of your comfort zone. But we do have to do that sometimes. We do have to actually go and do something that scares us a little bit in order to grow. Mentoring is a really important aspect of leadership and developing leaders. But I think we all have a part to play, actually. I think even if you wouldn't count yourself as a leader, because we have a strange view of leadership sometimes, and we think that only certain people are leaders, um, but that's another story. Um, But we we all have a part to play. Last um, Sunday evening was the seven. And um, uh, Jim and Joe were leading worship. And Eve, my youngest, was singing. And um, she, it was the first time that she had led a song. And I observed a really beautiful thing happening on that stage. I mean, Eve's singing was, was all right. It was, it was okay, wasn't it, Eve? You did good. It was okay. She, she's got a lovely voice. But what I observed was Jim on one side here. And Joe stood here, and Eve was here. And they both, the way they mentored her through that moment of taking her first step into leading a song in front of a crowd of people was a really beautiful moment. And as a mum, I was was just like, that's incredible. That's incredible. They just looked at her. They cued her in. They encouraged her. They didn't say anything. It was through their body language and through, their, uh, through, through what they were doing. Now, doing that is not always easy. You've got some young upstart. You're not, I know. You're lovely. But you've got some young person coming along, you know, and Jim and Joe are great. They don't need Eve as well. They're great in and of their own right. But how beautiful that they're prepared to invest in that young person and see her grow and spread her wings and take part. They weren't holding tightly to the gifting that they've given. They're investing it in someone else and they're allowing her to grow. And I remember Phil Lashem doing that with Grace, our eldest, when uh, he was here leading worship. And he really invested in her to the point that now she leads worship at HDB and the students work. She would never have done that if Phil hadn't invested in her and mentored her in that way. It is beautiful when you see that happening. 
And I would love to see more of that happening in our community. Being prepared to not hold tightly to the gifts that God's given us, but being prepared to share them and to grow and to allow others to grow into their giftings as well. So I've got some questions. How can we as a community take more responsibility for one another's growth and development? And how can we invest in each other more fully? Let's not be a passive community. Let's be a community committed to one another and committed to identifying things in each other and saying, I can see this in you and I want to help you grow this. They might say, no, <laughs> you're all right, thanks. <laughs> you know, um, you're the last person I want in my life. That would be a bit sad. But it is, about, it is about taking the time to look. Let's have open eyes and let's see what God's saying to us as a community of people. After the restructuring, you know, when we had the partners evening, we talked about people were concerned and are still concerned about pastoral care in the church. And we are going to be addressing that, and we are looking at it. But it's going to be different, because what's got us here won't get us there. It needs to be different, and we all need to carry the mantle of responsibility for one another. So it's not about one person doing it, or even just connect group leaders doing it. It's about us all looking after each other, and looking out for each other. And that's going to, there's going to be more of that in September, um, when we've got a bit more time to sort of start thinking about those things. But let's be investing in one another. So what do you need to be? What are the qualities of a good mentor? You need to be interested in others. You need to be enthusiastic to see your person, your mentee, grow and move forward. You need to be caring. You need to be prepared to challenge. You need to be prepared to share your skills, as Jim and Joe did last Sunday night, your, and your knowledge and your experience. And you do need to be a good listener. Sometimes we talk a lot and we don't listen very much. And actually, we need to be listening to one another, but listening deeply to one another, to what we're saying, to what's really being said. I love this quote, uh, the key to being a good mentor is to help people become more of who they already are, not to make them more like you. So we don't want to be creating clones of ourselves, it's about who are you, who's God called you to be, how are you going to grow and flourish in, and move and take responsibility for your giftings and the things that God has called you to do. So I'm not suggesting here that everyone needs to be a mentor uh, intentionally sort of mentoring someone else. But I think we can be consciously thinking how we encourage one another um, and how we encourage one another in our gifts, in our skills, and in our acts of service as well. It is especially important that we're doing this for our young people. But we all need encouragement, don't we? We all do. When I'm, the days that I work at home on my own are not great days for me. I don't like being, I don't actually really like being in business on my own because I need people. I need people around me. And I think a lot of us, some people don't, but, it, you know, that's, that's true as well. But we all need people to encourage us, no matter what sort of our character is as well. We need to, we need to be walking alongside one another, encouraging and, and uh, enabling. And that's what Elijah did for Elisha, but Elisha did it for Elijah as well. He, you know, Elijah moved into a new phase of his ministry. This was a new season for Elijah, 
taking on Elisha, and, and off they went. And it was very clear the reason why Elijah was taking Elisha on was to succeed him and to take the ministry and the work forward. So how can we create a culture where we are intentionally mentoring or looking out for other people within our church, being encouraging, identifying gifts in one another? I don't have the answers. I'm throwing out the questions because I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it in your connect groups, and I want you to think about it as a church community. I want you to invest in this so that we can move forward together. You might also like to be asking, who do I need in my life in order to help me take responsibility for my gifting, to step more fully into it and to the service that God has called me to? We might need other people. We do need other people. And there might be somebody in this room that you think, actually, I could really do with that person just spending a bit of time with me. Well, go and ask them afterwards. Set something up. Let's all try and invest and grow and move forward and and do that intentionally. So the third mantle that we carry is the mantle of succession. Elijah thought he was done. He was alone. He was hopeless. He was exhausted. He was a man of massive highs and deep lows, as we heard last week. Neil spoke about depression. But God speaks to him and makes it very clear that everything is going to be different. However, things are, are, are going to be done differently as well. So he's now part of a team. He's not on his own. He's not a lone uh, sort of, uh, you know, cannonball, loose cannonball just going about the place. He's got somebody to grow and to develop. God renews Elijah at Mount Horeb and provides him with Elisha. And he says quite clearly that Elisha will succeed him as prophet. There was a succession plan to continue this work. Elijah was prepared to pass the mantle on. And in a sense, that may not have been easy for Elijah. Because if he was quite big on his own map, he might have been thinking, I'm the man, I'm the prophet. So actually then passing, you know, being prepared to pass on to someone else, I could understand him feeling a little bit insecure about that. Or perhaps a little bit jealous You know, jealousy really can eat away at us, can't we? If we are comparing ourselves to other people, um, and we can get eaten away, and and that will stop us from moving into uh, what God's called us to do. But Elijah didn't. He he obeyed God, and he he, he focused on developing Elisha. Elijah models mentoring and that succession really beautifully with Elisha. For all that he was overzealous and probably a bit of a nutter at times, this act of passing the mantle on shows a real maturity in him and a desire, I think, to serve God above and beyond anything else. So if God's calling you to hand your leadership on or to develop other people within your organisation or within the the roles that you uh, fulfil in your life, to be investing in another's life, that's a really good biblical model and not a sign of failure. Succession isn't failure. And it would be easy, wouldn't it, to think, oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I've done all I can do. It would have been easy for Elijah just to curl up in a ball. Well, he did. He, he put the cloak over his face, and he was like, oh, poor me, poor me. It would have been easy for him to stay in that state, but he didn't. He heard from God, and he obeyed. Succession isn't failure, but there's a level of humility that needs to come into play 
in order for us to genuinely pass the mantle on. And that's good too, because it's a recognition that we do things in God's strength, for his glory, and for no other reason. So as we draw to a close, three mantles that we carry. The mantle of responsibility. Know your gifts. We've got a responsibility to know our gifts, to know what is important to us, to know what our values are, and to behave in a way that is appropriate and authentic to us and to who we are as people with God's help. So know your gifts and get on with using them. Don't think, oh, it's just me and I always, you know, want to do this or want to do that. Great, do it and do it for God's glory and, and, uh, and enjoy it. Mentoring, the mantle of mentoring. Mentoring is good. Ask yourself, who can I be investing in? Or who do I need in order to grow my gifts and to use them? And then the third mantle that we, we carry is around succession. And as I said, succession isn't failure. It's the next part of the story. So if you're in leadership, be prepared to mentor and develop someone and encourage your teams to do the same. Because that way, people will be, they will flourish in their roles. They, you know, and, and if we can be doing that as a church community as well, people will begin to really flourish and to feel fulfilled and full of purpose. And it's not going to be ideal, I know, and there will be bumps in the road. But let's be looking out for people that we can uh, develop and pass the mantle onto. What's got us here won't get us there, as we clearly see in this story. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.